But that, that required extra skill. That required extra work. You know? That required a proper platform, which traditional insurance agents do not have access to. Yeah. You know? And investor or insurance agent, just a lot of them still thinking that my job of selling Unitrust is to sell Unitrust. You see, company launch a Japan equity fund, I sell Japan equity fund. My job is to sell and my job ends after I sold and I earn the 5%, 5% commission. Yep. That's it. But that is not really getting the client anywhere because the client... Before we begin the podcast, have you gotten your free ebook? It's called the Build a Six-Figure Portfolio Guidebook. Now, inside it, we share with you the tips and tricks to bring your stock investing skills to the next level. The best part, it's only 10 pages long and it's totally free. Whether you're on Spotify or YouTube, the link to download is in the description or you can go to www firl.co slash f-r-e-e or www.firl.co slash free. Hello, 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 everybody. It's been a while. Welcome back to the Firel Podcast, best place for long-term stock investors. Today, we're going to talk a lot more about stocks and we have a, a legend in the house, in the financial planning uh, industry, right? Mr. Yup, from uh, Whitner, Whitman Advisors. Did I get that correct? Whitman Independent. Wh- yes, very sorry. Whitman <laughs> Independent Advisors. Yes. Uh, they've been in the business for very long. And what I am very impressed about Mr. Yup is the amount of uh, public content that he puts out. So without further ado, uh, welcome to the podcast, uh, Mr. Yup. Thank you. Thank you for having me, MJ. So this is my first time having this kind of uh, yeah. uh, recording. Yes. Know? So I really... Hope that I can enjoy it. Uh, glad that we had uh, maybe the first non-radio uh, <laughs> people to to interview you. But look, I, I want to get straight into it. I think most people who follow you know that you write a lot. You've mm. written many, many books. Uh, too yes. many to mention. Mm. And um, But I want to start by actually understanding uh, you personally, right? Sure. Your history when you're young. I think that's something mm. that uh, I have to dig quite a lot to find out. So I think I decided to stop digging and just ask you straight away. <laughs> okay, sure, uh, sure. Yeah, so when you, obviously you are the, you're the money guy, right? Mm. But when you were younger, were you always like that? Mm. Uh, I, I must say that I, I'm not, ah. okay? Uh, I, I do, do not appear to be like someone who have strong interest in money. Mm. No, when I was young, no? Talking about saving money, talking about how to make money, yeah. no? Or how to work, you know, to get more money. No, I'm not that type. But I guess something uh, about me is that when I was growing up, uh, my parents, uh, even though they are like, especially my father, uh, who's uh, like worked for people before as a salesperson, then eventually he set up his own business. But somehow he does not seem to be very good in managing finance. No. Yeah. So we uh, should say he does not save so much money. Huh? Uh, when he could make more money. So when times are bad, he got really badly hit. You know? So he always faced cash flow problem, mm. you know, having difficulty to pay the uh, creditors and things like that. So 
so for that matters, uh, uh, I think when I grow up, I think somehow maybe subconsciously, yeah, you no, know, I always feel insecure. Ah. You no, know, having to move to one place to another place, and not knowing that you no, know, uh, uh, maybe how how far you no know, this yeah. kind of life will go on, uh, and then eventually I I managed to get to form five. Uh, I completed SPM, so I want to go to university. I mean, I got a a place in a local university, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, from my parents' way of managing money, they don't really would have the kind of money even for me to go to local, local university. Right, right. Uh, and a relative helped me to apply for a scholarship at this uh, Li Yanian Foundation. Ah. I do not know whether you, uh, much people know about him. Mm. And I got the scholarship from this foundation. Okay. And I think I want to mention about his name. Yeah. Uh, because he is the founder and the developer who developed this OUG Garden. OUG Garden? Yes. Oh. So he was a big time uh, no, yeah, I go there quite often. Super yeah. Taling there, the yes. area, right? But when I got the scholarship, he was there, I think, long passed away already. Ah. So, but I have to say, without his scholarship and financing, I would not be able to pull through my university. Wow. No? So, so uh, that's why I say maybe it's the kind of inner yeah. uh, motivation into me to want to get the kind of security. Uh, that's why when I started, uh, after I uh, got into work, no, I started to, when I got to know about finance, yeah. I become very interested to see how one should plan finance very well. I see. Okay? And then how I uh, get myself educated on, along the line. Right. So mm. uh, see if I summarize it correctly. So mm. you saw what your, your dad was a, a, a business person, mm. but he couldn't manage his cash flow properly. Yes. That created a bit of um, fear, insecurity, mm. right? About like, will I have enough mm. going forward? Yes. And so that spurred you on uh, to mm. think about money. And of course, you've got... Um, Mr. Lee, who very nicely, you know, and kindly, you know, uh, uh, finance your education. Yes. So, but before getting into the world of financial management, right? Mm. Uh, what what do you study actually? Uh, uh, I study a business management degree. Okay. No, uh, not too much on finance mm. on investment. No. So, in fact, I'm so happy that I managed to graduate with a first class honors in awesome. the university. No. So after I left the University, I I want to um, always want to make a difference. <laughs> Despite yeah. that, I do not make too much money <laughs> mm, uh, mm. Uh, from my father or my parents. Uh, I want to make a difference. Right. So uh, I joined a corporate uh, company to provide training. Mm. Okay, to be trained as a trainer to train the employees on okay. problem solving, decision ah. making, customer service, and so on. No, but after a while, I found that there is. Uh, I think I'm not getting the kind of result that I intend to achieve. Mm. Okay, uh, because why? When I was conducting the training, I find myself very excited. You know, uh, feeling that like I have made a lot of impact. Uh, you know, the participant also reacted and participated a lot during yep. the training. So I, I see I have done a lot. I have achieved something significant. But six months later or one year later, when I went back to the company again and to conduct a training. Yeah, discover that they do not really practice much of what I say. Yeah. Yeah, I start to think that if I repeat my life, giving training one time, two times like this for the rest of my life until I retire, 
Oh, that's very little impact that I make yeah, in people's that's life. True. That's true. That's, that's true. That's where I started searching to see that is there any other thing else that I can do, you know, whereby I can really maybe quite slow one person at a time, but I want to make significant change mm. to the particular person or to the particular family. So that's where I got to know about financial service industry. I see. You know, read about insurance. Read about estate planning. You know, of course, like many people, I got to read. Robert Kiyosaki's yeah, of course, of course. That for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we will talk about him later on. I know you talk a little bit about him in your, your new uh, book. Oh, yes. Um, mm. But what was the transition like? Because obviously you're corporate mm. and if you want to become an advisor, you are sort of mm. like a mini business owner yourself, right? Yes. In a way. Self-employed. Yeah, yeah self-employed, right? So what happens is I work about four, four and a half years. Then I resigned you know, for a full-time job. Then I bought a franchise from Rockwell ah, to do wheel training. I see. Uh, to do wheel writing services. Uh, at that point in time, I, I still remember, I think I, I'm easily the first hundred franchisees they have recruited I then. See. And today they have how many? I think they are 5,000 to 10,000. Wow, okay, you know? okay. So uh, I still remember at the point of time, I think what, 20 years ago, maybe then, uh, this uh, wheel writing yep. service is not as common then. Uh, many people go for, uh, go to lawyer to write wills. Mm. So that, that gave me a lot of opportunity and platform for me to go to different associations, yeah. different companies to give talk and then from then generate client leads for me to provide will writing services. I see. Yeah. Then after that, I got to know about insurance business. Yeah. I also joined it for a while, but I discovered that is really not my cup of tea. I see. Uh, because I discovered that whoever wants to do well in insurance business, some may have education and some people who do not have ed education can do better than those people who are more educated. So I say, hey, <laughs> this is not, this is definitely not the area or the territory that I can shine. That is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I only can see from the outside, but uh, that uh, the reason why insurance is so attractive even though people who are not educated can do well is because a lot of it is about sales. Yes. And then the second thing is that the most profitable pro products tend to not be the necessarily the best mm -hmm. for, okay. for, for people. I don't mm -hmm. know if you agree with that. Well, uh, let, let me put it in more objective manner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some people uh, are good in uh, building relationship, building trust, and sell the insurance policy. Yes, yes. Uh, I do not. Be, I do not belong to the category. Really, <laughs> who can please people instantly? Ah. <laughs> who make a good impression instantly? I see. Or make friends right. easily. So, so for 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 that matters, uh, uh, it may not be quite suitable for me. I see. So that's where. But but my interest on finance, um, financial management, on investment does not stop. So that's where that as I study further. I think there's one point, uh, I think there is some financial planner. There's one financial planner coming from Australia, giving a talk to, you know, the mm. local uh, community, talking about how financial planner in Australia do their business, deliver the service, and I'm totally overwhelmed. Really? <laughs> yes, I say I must go into do, uh, this profession. You were so impressed uh, yes. with what they did. That's where the, uh, I think the one of the first financial planning course being offered called Chartered Financial Consultant Course. Mm. Now, I do not know whether it's still been offered or not, 
Okay? Right. Because now we are talking about more CIP and yes, RIP. Yes, RIP, yes, correct. Okay? correct. So uh, I spent two years doing part-time to finish that course. So right. I started in, in 1998 and then I finished it about the year, I think about just before year 2000. Ah, so it takes quite a while, right? Two years to finish the exam. About yes, part-time. But I'm just curious, why did you decide to start with like wheel writing? Wrong mm. with this. I, I know as a user, the, mm. the benefit la, definitely of using a, a wheel writer mm. instead of uh, allowing the natural cost, right? Mm. They can execute a wheel. Yes, for a fee, but it's very, it's very fast, right? Mm. Um, but why, why did wheel writing interest you right after you decided to leave your corporate job? Uh, I, I would say, number one, wheel writing is something new ah, back then, okay. uh, 22 years ago. Right. That's number one. Number two, also to write wheel or to properly draft and plan a wheel mm. you know, uh, effectively you mm -hmm. know, and customize to particular client. That require quite a lot of knowledge. Ah. Yeah. Legal knowledge you know, and also estate administration knowledge. I see. So somehow that maybe satisfies my strong desire for knowledge and strong desire to apply the knowledge. You know? So that's why somehow I feel very comfortable knowing about will, the mo knowing about living trust, mm -hmm. about testamentary trust and things like that. I still remember, remember those days when I talked to the trustee people. It's like <laughs> the lawyer inside the trustee yeah. company like got chased by me to ask, Long list of questions until they, the moment they see me, they're like, Say, not, not okay. today, not today, <laughs> not today, not, not today. Yeah. Yes. So, okay. I, I want to drill a bit deeper then now. So I think uh, one question is people ask, let's say in, in their 20s and 30s early, right? Mm. Um, do they need to start writing a will already or mm. can they just wait until maybe they retire then they start a will, uh, start writing a will? Mm. Yeah, I guess. Uh, people may misunderstand to say that only people who yeah. got a lot of money they only. And do it's very morbid subject also. Yes, it's, it's 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 linked to death, right? Yeah. True. True. No. So like when you think about will, they think about like, yeah. you you planning to die or yeah, what? Yeah. That's why you're writing a will. Yeah. No? Uh, but that's not really true. That it's only working, you know, or applicable to those people who got asset, because you could be young, no, but uh, and then you have maybe have very little asset, okay. Uh, but if you got dependents. You no, know, for example, like your your parents, mm -hmm. or for example, some people who are uh, newly married, you no, know, they've got uh, children. So I'm 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 not so sure. You no, know, I mean I mean maybe not a lot of people know that to appoint guardian, for example, this young couple, they got one one child. The effective way to appoint guardian, you no, know, for uh, in uh, in a situation whereby the husband and wife pass away, you no, know, for the, their child is through the real document. Right. No? So 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 that that is one example of why young couple, you know, mm. with a child, need to write a will. Even both of them may have not, not wow. nothing at all. I see. Mm. So um I, I wanna get you to explain in more detail, mm. right? Yes. How should people go about writing a will? Because I do know a lot of people who say, Yeah, I really write my will. Mm. But sometimes it's not written well, mm. or maybe they entrust uh, another executor, or they entrust, uh, let's say, the bank 
to do it. Mm. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe you're on the side that a professional will, like a rock wheelies yeah, would be yes. the best way of doing things, right? Sure. Maybe explain why that is the best form of executing a wheel rather than mm. the, 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 the other methods. Mm. Uh, of, course I do, of course, I do not mean to promote rock wheel. Of course, here. of course. Okay. But based on my professional assessment, rock wheel is one of the company who have got long history in Malaysia. Mm. I think now they could have written more than 100,000 of wheels so far. So that really means something yes, right, as far yes. as experience is concerned. No? And wheel is a document whereby you do not just write it and then consider done. The wheel that we have written is meant to be executed. Which means to say, when someone die, the family member or the beneficiary mm. will need to take the wheel document to the court, get a run of it, and execute it. Mm -hmm. And trustee, uh, Rockville trustee at the point of time has got relationship, close relationship, I think with BHLB trustee in the beginning, and then eventually they started their own Rockville trustee. So with the experience of like drafting wheel and then executing wheel, that, that give them a kind of experience to pass the experience to the wheel writer as to how to draft the wheel in such a way that it is practical. Yes. And then it's executable. I see. No? So it's not a theoretical wheel that you can write and write whatever you want, but come to execution, somehow the executor is very confused. The beneficiary is very unhappy. At the end, it leads to a law. Of course, Legal yeah, tussle. it can be very, very painful. Mm. So what, what, what are some of the common pitfalls that the mistakes that people make when they wheel mm. write, you would say? I would say when people uh, write a wheel. Yeah, I think uh, they may not fully understand the importance of executor. Mm. No, because uh, executor is someone who who are considered your legal representative. Okay, upon your death, so this person will be recognized by the bank, will be recognized by the land office, recognized by the fund management company that this particular executor uh, represent the disease. No, so he will receive all the money, no, and then he's basically has got his power to do whatever he wants with the money. Yeah. Whether he invests it or whether he distributes or he would just want to delay and hold on to it. But some people do not know that. So they when they appoint executor, either they they just appoint their so-called best friends, mm. no, which may no longer be best friend when they die, uh, or may appoint the one of the children, mm. which eventually the particular child may do not have, may not have the same idea or may have a strong dis in intention to distribute the will according to the will to mm. the other sibling. So that is quite a tricky part. Another part is appointing guardian. Oh, that's pretty also a pretty uh, pretty big issue. No, as to like who should be the guardian. I see. For no. the children, not typically, right? Yes. No, because the guardian is not a person to manage the money, but guardian is a person who take care of the children on the daily basis, sending him or her to school, to university, no, uh, taking care of the medical of the person. So this part of it, some people also again uh may not appoint right. the right uh candidate right. for a guardian as well. Uh, then also uh, some people who are very wealthy uh, have mm, got their mm. wealthy problem. <laughs> mm, the headaches. Yes, uh, the the headaches uh, imagine for example, you, you, 
you you have got 50 million or 100 million and you're supposed to use a will to distribute your asset now if you were to distribute your asset to your children uh especially daughters you no know, at a too young age you no know, because by malaysia law by the time the children reach 18 years old they can receive the millions of yours that you distribute to her yes, yes. or him the question is that is he mature enough yes. to manage this money or will he be influenced by friends you no know, or boyfriends you no know, or maybe some con men you no know, to squander away the money so that's where the a proper will for those people who have got this wealthy problem maybe to stagger the distribution to their loving children mm. so that not all the wealth will be given to the child at one go right you no know? instead it will stagger like for example 10 percent at the age of uh, 18 then after that 20 25 yeah. 30 and even to the age of 50 years old mm. Mm. okay interesting okay so I I I I don't want to make this a a, a podcast about wheel writing <laughs> not too much. Yes, but I just Neither have one last I. question. Yeah, is uh, regarding regarding maybe something a bit more specific, which mm. is the liquidity. So, if let's say a person's assets wealthy or not, m- mostly consists of liquid assets, so unit trust, stocks, whatever. Mm. Uh, typically it's a lot uh, easier lah, right? It's liquid, but I think. We, becomes more of a challenge when and correct me if I'm wrong la, it becomes more of a challenge when you have like physical assets mm. so like properties sure. right mm. uh, if you let's say uh, say this property you split into half to mm. both your kids you got two kids mm. one want to sell the other one don't want to sell mm. how do you sort that kind of stuff so what mm. advice do you have to give to people who where their will mm. consists a lot more this kind of illiquid assets mm. and it can, it can be properties, can be business interests mm. uh, and things like that. Do you have mm. any advice for those kind of people? I I, I totally agree with you. Mm. Uh, Malaysians like to invest in properties yep, yep. Uh, and sometimes they they like it too much. Mm. So so there's a lot of properties in le- uh, left behind. Uh, but with very little liquidity. Mm. I think what makes it matter most is that instead of giving one property, to, because since you have got so many properties, then you, you should give one property to one child. No? Uh, 100%. So it's very easy for the particular child to decide whether I want to re- refinance the property, I want to sell the property, or I want to continue to stay in the property. Because yeah. he will be owning the property 100% on his own. I think what is troublesome is to let the particular property to be shared mm. among the siblings mm. and who eventually got married, got the in-laws coming in. So yes, you can yes. imagine got three children and three in-laws coming in, all together, six of them having different opinion and arguing whether they should sell, hold, or rent the property. Yeah. No? So if, if some, some of this kind of issue that can be prevented yes. when you have proper planning, no? uh, somehow, it may not be uh, taken consideration. Right. Mm. Okay, okay. So I think we should uh, move on <laughs> sure. uh, into maybe a little bit more on some of the general principles mm. or philosophy when it comes sure. to money and investing. Sure. So there are many, many points of mm. view out there, right? Mm. Um, what? How will you describe the key tenets or pillars of how you look at uh, money mm. and by extension, how you advise your clients? 
I I always advise the young people. I I've been interviewed like many times, yeah, like many media as to what's my advice to young people. Mm. Uh, I I will always uh, always say that in this world there are two type of person eventually will become either you become a saver, you join the savers group, or you you join a spenders group whereby you don't save at all. Mm. So I always encourage young people to force themselves to save. I see. You no, know? okay, and don't wait until that. You got more income, and you got significant bonus. Then only you save because that will just become an excuse. Yeah. You no, know, and you never save. So that's why I always suggest that even though you may be getting only two thousand or three thousand ringgit, okay, make it more hard. Uh, make it harder. Now you got only two thousand ringgit after paying whatever expenses you got. Maybe you got very little left. But yeah. whatever little left you have got, even if you got fifty ringgit left, save that fifty ringgit. Because what you want to do is that you want to consciously and unconsciously get yourself, squeeze yourself into the savers group. Yes. Uh, why is it so important to go into this group? Because once you are conscious that you are a saver, you are the person who can save and you can continue to save, then you build a discipline. Mm. You build a habit. A habit. You know? okay. And then you know that you have the discipline to save. And that will eventually will be the beginning of next. Uh, then what? What do I do with the saving? Mm. You know, uh, do, do I invest it? And, and the good things just will come along. You know? yeah. compared to if you do not get into this group, uh, whether guilt will come in or not. <laughs> okay, I always finish everything I have got. Sometimes I may spend more than what I have. Mm. Um, I, I got credit card debt. Then the the life is not so happy. That's not true. so positive and then don't need to think about the, investing you, call me, you let me know see whether you agree you know mm. i think you're very right that uh it's about the habit yes even if it's 10 ringgit mm. right because as i'm sure you know many people have different life circumstances like sure. you cannot judge say well this one save 10 percent of income that one saves 30 percent of income mm. the 30 percent one is better we cannot say that right sure. people have different dependence different situations whatever mm. um but it's about that habit, like you say, that automated mm. habit. Mm. Uh, the technical term I like to use is unconscious competence. Mm. So you unconsciously, you just keep doing it. So that when you do earn more money, mm. hopefully in the future, mm. then the habit remains. Yes. Right? Yes. And I, I, I like to ask you about this. So a lot of people say they cannot save money every mm. month. Uh, and they say, but I will save my bonus, mm. right? Mm. Uh, I assume you recommend that regardless, you should always be saving some every month. Yes. And the bonus, as the name suggests, is a bonus. <laughs> right? Save more then. <laughs> yeah. But you have a bonus. Yeah. Yes. So mm. you wouldn't recommend like, because I know some people who mm. are like, no, I, I, all my savings bonus and then mm. I'll like take a portion of it mm. and then spend it on holiday. Then mm. the other half or the other 60% whatever it is I save as savings. That's mm. not what you recommend. That, that, that will not build, uh, that will not be a strong habit. True. <laughs> so, uh, because I, I've seen enough excuses, you know, given by people to say, I just can't save. Okay. You know, and, and, and some people who just want to give me excuse say, I will say, yep. Wait till you, I got higher income. Okay. Then I'll save. Then I give you an extreme example. Okay. okay, we, okay. we got a client yes, yes, who yes. have got yearly income of more than a million. Uh, oh. <laughs> and cannot save. 
Okay. So so don't tell me, you know, now now I'm earning 30,000, wait till I got 50,000, then I save. No, I've seen situations where someone who earn the millions still cannot save. But what was what was stopping from doing that? Well, I mean, huh? a million is like, I mean, if, if I had income, I still don't know how to spend, you know? That also wow me. Yeah. You no, know, that, that also give me a shock. You no, know, because that, that's why uh, somehow people, when you get into the habit of spending and living in a modern world, in a materialistic world, Very easy. it's easy to spend. Yes. People go and buy AAsia ticket. And if you, go earn a, you earn a million, you can choose to fly first class. Yes. And there's how many times yeah. <laughs> more than the economy ticket Easy, that you can yeah. buy for Asia. No? People buy a shirt, no, that may, may cost me 100 ringgit, it's only a good shirt. But you can buy branded shirt that can cost you maybe five times, 10 times more. So my experience just tell me there's no amount of money that's enough for you to splurge. Yeah. Right? You've seen also people who get into financial scandal, fraud, Corruption, mm. you no know, squandering country money. Mm. You know? Yeah, well, very familiar. That's a lot of money. Yeah, you know? but still not enough. You know? so that's why. Please don't don't tell me that you can save yeah. later. Tell, show me you can save now. Right. So mm. one one of the things that uh, people might push back to what you say, lah. Yes. Okay. Uh, is that as we grow older, we have, um. Lifestyle inflation. Mm. So what is very more nuanced about lifestyle inflation is that some people, the people who make those points, uh, mm. uh, I mean, because you won't look into their detailed financials unless they show you, right? Is mm. that a, a big chunk of it is also something that they cannot control, mm. which is inflation, something we are experiencing for the past year. I understand. Food, uh, you know, even those who take grab like I do, I know what the prices are now. Mm. Uh, and these are things that we cannot really control. Mm. And so how, how do you as a financial advisor advise your clients mm. with regards to that sort of more uncontrollable type of lifestyle inflation? Mm. I guess everything that we do in life, I think the best way to manage our finance is to give a end goal mm. as to what we wish to have. Mm. So that's why a written holistic financial plan must be drafted before we talk about saving, investing, how to spend, blah, blah, blah. So because a holistic financial plan gives us a, a view, a vision as to what kind of life that I really want. Yeah. You know, and how, what are the financial goals that I have in my life that will make me happy, will, will take care of my family, you know, and will make my family happy. So with that big goals and big rock in mind, then only we figure out to say that, okay, then how, how do I go from there? Okay, mm -hmm. so like if you, what you say just now, it require saving, it require cutting down some spending, then that gives the motivation to do yep. so. Yep. No, we, we, if there's, there's no financial plan, yep. then we just say, okay, should we cut these expenses? Should we not cut these expenses? For what? Yeah. Then there's no context. Yeah. No, and it's become very hard. No? So, so that's why I always urge you know, the Malaysian who are serious about growing your money, planning your money, then you should have a holistic financial plan done. So when a new client meets you, right? Mm. Is that the first question you ask? What is this for? Who is this for? Mm. Children's education, retirement, whatever, whatever, retirement. No, and I mean, do you, do you fancy right. to have a bigger house? Mm. No, 
and uh, what do you intend to do when you retire? Uh, so people got different in, in inspirations, you know. So uh, when all this impression uh, was actually put into the paper, and they have got a personal connection mm. to those goals, you know, that's where motivation come. Yeah, yeah. So that's why uh, financial plan is not about number crunching, you know, about how that's do we invest the money. It's about the ultimate question that we should ask. What's the money for? Yeah. Uh, what's the money for? And what kind of life do we want? Right. Know? Yeah. So in, in your ex long years of experience mm. and practice, right? What are the common goals that people typically want? And what's the weirdest one also? I'm just very <laughs> curious. Uh, I, I would say what's common for most people is to retire. Mm. No? Uh, to retire comfortably. Mm. Uh, because I think gone are the days whereby you can raise your children, give him a good education and expect him, he, him to take care of you when you're old. Okay? Mm. Uh, confirm <laughs> this is Of course, look, if you've got that kind of son and daughter, fantastic. <laughs> la, but yes. can't take the risk anymore. Yeah, you can't take the risk. Uh, you can't hope. No? You need to plan for yourself. Okay? Uh, if they are really good, they are filial to you, they will take care of you, that is a bonus. Mm. Okay? So for that matter, uh, when we do plan, so this is number one. But strangely, strangely uh, uh, retirement is still the, not the most important financial goal. Is it? For Malaysian. Uh, for the married couple with children, we discover that children to children education, okay? whether it's a local university or whether it's OC university, always been placed a higher priority compared to the retirement. So which means to say when we do adjustment uh, about how much you spend for your retirement, how much you spend for education, it inevitably it will go to the point whereby give and take, yeah. this, this part of education, please don't cut. Really? Yes. Uh? No, don't move it. Don't, don't, don't reduce it. No, retirement can talk. I can retire one year later. I can retire two years later. I can live with less, you know, but education, don't, don't touch. All right. so, so much so it become a common uh, best practice in Vigman that we ask and I warn my advisor, don't simply go and cut our guys' children's tertiary education because you may make them very, very angry. angry. Right. <laughs> no? So even though you may feel that you have got a lot of reason to do so, don't do that because that yeah. is one of the most important thing in their life. That's very interesting to balance that uh, the emotional part, mm. right, of financial planning. And yes. of course, rationally, we can see, look, I mean, mm. the, the, the rational person will say, look, maybe during uh, the baby boomer generation, right, they spend a little bit of money on their education because education is not as expensive last time. Mm. And, um, you know, a good, you get a nice 78% probability that your kid will, you know, come back and take care of you. Mm. Now, don't know what's that probability. Less than 50%, let's call it, right? Mm. So if, if it's a less than 50% probability, the rational thing is, well, then uh, why should I be investing so much in the kid? Mm. He, can, he or she can go and figure it out himself mm. what he wants to study and all that. Mm. And I have more for retirement. Yes. So when you go uh, and talk to clients as nicely as you can mm. and say that maybe they should reconsider mm. this because of that whole risk of not, because mm. the children is no more a safe investment. Let's mm. put it that way. Mm. Um, how will you approach that? 
because it's a very thought, as you say, it's a very touchy thing, right? It, that's why I say it's so touchy that we do you not do touch it. Anyone. Wow, <laughs> we, so we, we, we will talk about maybe you should, let's say, retire one year later, two years later. Uh, maybe you should cut down your retirement expenses. Mm. Uh, maybe you should increase your saving now. Maybe you should increase the return of some of your investment now. So they are prepared. They are prepared. They are open huh? to do that. Well, but don't touch the fund they intend to give to the children. And in your experience, none of your clients come to you and say, you know what? I'm going to cut the education. I'm going to increase my retirement. Never. <laughs> not, not that I know of. Wow. Wow. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> so, so speaking of uh, retirement, right? Mm. I, I guess one big question or one big goal, I would say a lot mm. of people want when it comes to retirement is to maintain a lifestyle. Sure. Right. That's mm. one big one. Yeah. Or oh, enhance the lifestyle. Or oh, even enhance, right? Because yeah. hey, now mm. I can cash in on my, all my years of hard work. Yes. Uh, my dad. Enjoy. My dad is actually retiring mm. at the end of this mm. year. Yes. So there's talks of uh, renovation. Mm. There's talk of uh, holidays. Uh, holidays. Mm. Exactly. Playing more golf. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so. How do you usually tell people? And of course, there's a lot of variables. Like, when is this person asking the question? But mm. what are your top advice for people who want to not just retire, mm -mm. but retire with the same lifestyle and a higher mm. or even an increased lifestyle? Mm. See, I think what's important is that as a financial planner, yes, yes, uh, we, we we must not judge a person. Yeah. So we, we, yeah, we must not have certain judgment to think that, okay, I think you, you should cut your uh, expenses, you should do that. Because everybody is different. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some people who has got uh, uh, such a good uh, uh, or high standard of retirement lifestyle yeah. in mind, uh, they may have a lot of wealth. Yeah. You know? So that's why uh, we would not comment, uh, say anything. We just hear out the client yeah. and then just whatever number that we got is asset whatever he want into a holistic financial plan then from the plan itself then we should be, then we only will be able to tell whether he has got enough to last him up to the age of like 85 or 90 years old mm. okay for, for the kind of lifestyle that he want to have so if he can afford that by all means go for it you know but if he does not have the kind of money no, uh, if he were to in, uh, if he were to spend the kind of money to maintain the kind of enhanced lifestyle, mm. the money he may retire at fifty five, and the money may finish by sixty five, then yeah. it's going to be like alarm to him. Yeah. No, don't do that. So we need to re look at the plan. I see. Mm. So of the levers you can plan, right? Usually, mm. which are the easy ones? So I can imagine, for example, maybe. Uh, Mm, I don't know, increasing investment returns, uh, you, uh, saving you, more. You are quite right. Mm. You are quite right. Uh, for most Malaysians somehow, uh, despite the uh, time and the effort they put into investment, but sad to say, a lot of time, the investment effort do not seem to generate the kind of result they deserve. And the yeah. reason? Big the, reasons? The, the big reason is because that I think uh, there is the inclination to take higher risk than what the ah, person is supposed to take. Yes. I remember you wrote an article, right? Mm. Does higher risk equal to higher return? 
<laughs> so maybe you want to share a little bit about about that kind of mindset. Uh, uh, I'm again. I'm going. To, I'm going to the forte of yours, which is share investing. Ah, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> you know, uh, I think there there are people who do not really understand the nature and the risk exposure when come to investing a single stock. Mm, you know, right. uh, if you remember in the year 2020, uh, when there's a beginning of pandemic, then this uh, rubber glove stock uh, has been like shooting you yes, know, yes. Uh, through uh, the roof. Yes. And it attracted many retail investors who never many. invest in share before, just go and chase the stock. You know? So that's why they're thinking that, well, this is the stock that cannot be wrong. No, and they, they can uh, buy, chase, put more money into it, and it continues to go up and go and go up. No, but they forget to understand that whatever go up, go up, no, must come to the point whereby the valuation is just too ridiculous. Mm. No, uh, there's no such thing as ridiculous uh, uh, about the pricing. There's no such thing about uh, um, more supplier will come in to set up factory yep, to yep. produce it. Then yep, yep. pressing the the price, you know, the order of the existing players, no, no such thinking, you know, mm. and and that's where it collapsed. I see. And I have bought personally my clients or a few clients who have lost 60, 70, 80 percent of the capital investing in Warburg stock. Easily. So yep. this is what I mean that in the first place, why do you go and chase the return of a share investment? Okay, and and the fact that you don't really do research, you you don't even know what's a PE of it, you know? and you do also do not know what's the management or what's yeah. the industry, uh, whereby they are operating in. So so for that matter, uh, I mean this is one vivid and very dramatic example as to how Malaysian, you no, know, uh, do not have a proper plan, do not have a proper strategy. Yeah, just jump into a high risk investment and then lost. 60% or 70% of their hard-earned money. And imagine how damaging it is that cost the person. Imagine the person have got, say, 500,000 saved over maybe five or 10 years wanting to plan to achieve financial freedom. Scully now, 500,000 is gone and it's left 100,000. Yeah. And the whole financial plan will just go, go derail because of that single decision. And this is only one example. And there are plenty more in the market than you should know. Man, bigger, bigger figures than that. Bigger figures, different type of investment. Yeah. And it never ends. <laughs> you That's have true. Geneva go, come and gone. Then you have got money gains, JJPTR, come, gone. And as well as the new one, I don't want to name the names. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Mm. So one of the reasons I realized that people fall into this trap. And even for myself also, mm. we, we, I also fall into this trap with, uh, I mean, luck, luckily I'm smart enough to diversify. But if I had put everything inside also, that would be the same same scenario. Mm. Um, what do you say, how do you help your clients prevent that? Essentially for a level better envy, because a lot of the reasons why they don't do any research at all mm. and things like that, mm. um, before they go into investment because they see their neighbor doing it. Mm. That especially if the if their assessment is the neighbor not as smart as them or they're also doing this, so yeah, of course I can do that, you know, because the neighbor, right? Because the, the not so smart neighbor yeah. just make 
one hundred thousand. I can know? make two hundred no, Yeah, uh, I can make one. I cannot be more stupid than him. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And also, like uh, one thing that people don't practice when it comes to liquid assets is that if they you ask them to buy a property, they're very hardworking. They go see the different house here, price there, <laughs> price there. You know, so they suddenly very rational. But with liquid assets, not so rational. How do you? What will you tell? Not even just your clients or mm. friends and family members, right? To not succumb to the kind of comparison, mm. you know. I I I would I would I would have to disagree with you because uh, uh, some people uh, uh, are are just attracted to properties. Mm. Okay, so they are they are not rational about property investment as well. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. 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 They, they can go very crazy about property investment. Yes, uh, okay. okay. And there are people. There are some people who just you no know, fancy share investing. Yes. Yes. You yes. Know? And then. Also, you cannot stop them from buying more share as well. You know? So they are crazy about share investing. So this is the, you know, the build up, the psychology, mental build yeah, up of yeah. different investors. That's okay? true. So the question now is that what you, you are saying just now, how, how do we- How do you help people control the urge to always compare? Mm. Like I said, the example of the neighbor, things like that. Yeah, you, you may see me like, you no, know, uh, talking like the uh, record, uh, Oh, broken record like that. Mm. <laughs> Just repeating mm. what I say. Huh? Mm. Oh, but what I found to be effective is to ask the person what he really wants out of his life. Mm. No? Uh, it is very important to have a big picture in our mind. Yes. No? Uh, before you go to the detail as to should we invest in stock or should you chase that stock or should you buy this or buy that? No? Let's get a big picture in, in place because what is most important other than religion okay, is about this life. Yeah. And this life need money. Uh, and this life need you to plan your money well. Yes. So once you're very clear about where you're heading and where do you stand now and we are giving you very clear guideline that you should get this kind of return and you should get this kind of saving every month yes. and things like that, then there is a framework mm. for you to follow. So there's a, a, there's a guideline for you to decide to say, well, that is, that is my neighbor's decision. That's what my neighbor is doing. But maybe he got no financial plan. That's why he simply, you know, try to chase the return. But I am different. I got a plan. I, I know clearly yeah. you know, that I do not need the kind of return and I'm on track. Mm. You know, I just need to behave. <laughs> then yeah. I'm fine. So so that's how, how it goes. I see. Mm. That's, that's very true. That's very good advice. It's also something that I, I, I've learned definitely in the past one year or two years as well. Mm. As you know, because markets are very volatile, right? Sure. Um, okay, so specifically to how you usually advise people to asset allocate, right? For mm. their investments. Mm. And uh, I know in your book, you're a fan of the proper kind of diversification. Sure. Right? So obviously, when we talk about diversification, capital allocation, I mean, to allocate capital, you should I mean it is assumed you have capital, mm -hmm. right? So this is more for advice of people who already have assets. Mm. Uh, how do you uh, give your advice on how much should be in like let's say unit trust, how much should be in stocks, how mm. much should be in property, uh, or any other type of investments? Mm. In the first place, I think let me go to something basic. Mm. You know, I think I think also the the the, the the gist of the new book that I have got, mm. you know, uh, the yes. financial freedom investing. Yes. Uh, 
the, the reason why I, I share you know the ideas about how to investing in the book mm. uh, uh, is that is because it, it all come from my experience yep. you know like, like what you say just now that uh, people tend to you know get attracted to high return promise kind of investment it could be high risk but they don't care and they could be trapped one time <laughs> they could be trapped second time they don't, don't care yeah you no know? That's that's why I just if I look at the client that we have got and those clients who follow our advice diligently, how come they don't have this problem? Yep. So when I have, when I have got this comparison, then I decided, oh, is it because you no? Know, once we have a financial plan, mm-hmm. we help them to decide uh, based on the plan what kind of return they need to achieve. Yeah. And guess what? Most of our clients, I think, if not all our clients, only need to achieve. Single digit return. Yeah, true. And they'll be able to beat inflation. They'll be able to compound their wealth and their saving to achieve whatever they need to achieve for their financial plan. Yeah. So, so for that matter, uh, Wigman, despite of the many years of us everything the client to invest or helping them to invest the money, we never need to look for some investment that can give 20% return, uh, 50% return, or even 100% return. We never look beyond that. Any investment return or proposal that client gives it to us that promise 16%, 20%, knowing that high return uh, will expose the client to the high risk, we just shoot it down, shoot it down. No? So for that, that's, that's where I find the urge to say that maybe, maybe a lot of people out there no? <laughs> who, who do not have financial plan or do, do not become our client yet, they do not know such a reality. Yeah. So that's why in the book, I mentioned that for most middle class Malaysian who are educated yes, yes, or tertiary yes. educated, you do you only need you no know, high sing, high single digit return and you'll be able to achieve your financial freedom and okay. your plan and take care of your children tertiary education. So then the question now is that how do you build a discipline yeah. to make sure that you'll be able to achieve this return? Yes. You no. Know? So that's where I develop a lot of what we've been using internally. We call it SRB standard. No, uh, something that number one, it got to be safe. Number two, it got to be uh, investment that will always rise in the long term. And number three, it got to be investment which is best of breed in nature. No, so when we introduce something like this, then we'll be able to help uh, an investor uh, to focus as to uh, and to accept the fact that. I, I can live with uh, my life or my investing uh, kind of uh, yeah. journey yeah. aiming for single digit return only. Mm. No? And, and that's where I, I see it. many of our clients, they're Very happy possible. with that. Very possible. Yeah. No, whereby you can see some of the counterpart who are in industry, industry uh, Unisource consultant or bankers, they face a different problem. Mm. No? I, I I always have got uh, the proposal re- received some from some of my, my clients, actually most of our clients, this proposal from the bank, proposal from the, the Unisource consultant. And look, and look at the fund they propose, it's not diversified, it's so risky, you know, technology fund, China fund, whack 500,000 into one fund. I said, this is risky, you know? And do you know, and, and when I get to know that agent, when the client introduces something like that, why are you doing that? You see, 
this agent has got a totally world, totally different worldview compared to us. Because in his world, he say that if I do not propose something that really, you know, exciting, you no, know, thrill, give the thrill, and really increase the heartbeat of the client, the client will just fall and sleep and ignore his proposal. Mm. Can you see the contrast yeah. of worldview that we have got? Yeah. You know? And that's why people like that, uh, without a financial plan for the client, yeah. uh, have got no choice, but always need to up the risk, the return promise to the client out there, and it become a vicious cycle. Yeah. No, and client who ask for higher return, I mean, client do not know the, the danger or the, the whole picture, ask for the high return, then they get what they want, then they lost more money. No, and then the, the consult, unit trust consultant who do not know that the client actually do not need that, continue to pursue, uh, to look for fund that can give higher return and expose the client to higher risk. All right, right. No? So, it is quite sad. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And so, it, so let's talk about that single digit return or high single digit return. Hmm. You know, eight, nine percent, let's say a year, it's sure. very good for a lot of people sure. already. Now in Malaysia, we have the, I would say we are very fortunate that we have EPF, right? Hmm. Uh, that gives us essentially five, six percent. And then you can start withdrawing at age 50, I believe. Um. To go from the six to nine percent, right? Mm. Uh, doesn't seem like a lot on the outside, sure. but you and I know that work needs to be done for mm. that. Yes. So of course, uh, as an advisor, you cannot be saying, uh, or I wouldn't say you cannot. Like it's it's harder. It's a harder sell to say just aim for six five six percent. Mm. Then they, you know, clients might say, "Well, if you're advising me that, then why do I hire you? Mm. I can just put it in EPF." Sure. So how do you get, how do you construct something for mm. a client that goes from the six to the 9%? Mm. Of course, we're not talking about the 15 and 20, just mm. the 9%. Uh, most of the client that we are dealing with, uh, EPF is only part of the mm. liquid asset they have got. I see. So of course, for the EPF part, okay, to beat inflation effectively and to compound the return, uh, it's important for us to move from 6% to 9% or at least 8%. Mm. Okay. Uh, but for the liquid asset like cash, yeah. you know, then the bank interest is giving about 2%. Yeah. You know, or maybe 3%. Okay. Uh, to, then to go to 8%, that is still quite uh, uh, distant yes. to go. Okay. So that, that's our job to, to do, to look at it holistically and suggest them how to get the, the return. Mm. So uh, for cash part, no, we, we always diversify the portfolio. Okay. We believe that uh, based on the study, you know, uh, most of the equity market, even though you are like diversified across the world, you should be able to get something between six to seven percent or eight percent, depending on which time period. Yes. No, uh, even if you just diversified it without picking any particular stock. Yeah. No? So so that leaves a good uh, foundation for the client to grow their wealth. So that's why I say, you know, they, they got to diversify their investment so they will be able to grow steadily yeah. over the long term. Okay, But along the process, of course, we want to make sure the vehicle is safe. And at the same time, we want to make sure that we get to choose the best of breed fund. So for example, if we are aiming for 
say a China fund, we want to choose the better breed of the China fund compared to any ordinary China fund, something like that. Right. So how do you, what's a typical process like when you go through your clients and choosing a, a, a mm. fund? If I want higher return, what mm. do you recommend? Mm. If I'm okay with just 7%, mm. what do you mm. usually recommend? Uh, in, in the first place, maybe I, I should actually highlight to you another yes. thing as well. Uh, when it comes to financial, just now you talk about how do we convince a client who has got now 6% from EPF to invest the money to go for maybe 8% or yep. 9%. Yep. No, that also seems to be a lot of money. Yes. So what's the motivation? Uh, but the point, I think the point is that a lot of people underestimate what the 1% and 2% will make over time, yes. Over 30 years and 50 years from their life. For someone who are like 30 years old or 40 years old, he has got another 40 years before he die, And he got to manage his money and continue to compound his money yeah. for the next 40 years. Yeah. No? So you may look at like extra 1% difference, but that would make a significant effect that you cannot imagine using yeah. your simple arithmetic. You got to put into the Geometric, software, like they call no, it. Geometric, yeah. then you can see the feature. That's number one. So we are think privileged because we always talk to the client using a holistic financial plan. So the client can see, whoa, you do 2% extra, that makes a lot of difference. So then they are motivated. Yes. Okay. But the question is that, again, it's not as simple as that. No? Uh, how to do that? No? So that's where we come in to help the client to get the return. I see. I see. So, I mean... The mat, the vehicle, especially for liquid asset sides of you helping your clients typically is through unit trust, right? Mm. The big criticism of unit trust today is the sales charge. Mm. You've got places like the US where essentially ETFs have completely <coughs> almost destroyed the, not I wouldn't say destroyed, but mm. they've severely put the unit trust in the history books. Right, Stone Age, Stone Age, <laughs> but Malaysia we are still in the Stone Age in a way. Mm. Charge five percent. That means mm. right. I mean, if people know the math, right? Mm. If you are five percent down, right, right at the beginning, and actually if you add in the management uh, expense ratios, that's what six percent maybe. Mm. Uh, you have to grow by ten, twelve percent to go back to your original capital already, sure. right? And a typical unit trust don't make ten to twelve percent. Mm. Uh, uh, uh a year. Mm. So you probably need to wait at least two years or three years to get back your capital sure. from the f the sales charge and all that. Mm. Is this something that you'd like to see change in mm. terms of the sheer amount mm. that we, when it comes to the sales charge? Mm. Uh, okay. Uh, well, in the first place, women do not only recommend uh, unit trust when we actually ask the client to go their money. Sure. We also recommend them to buy into properties. Mm. Uh, we also recommend them to buy into ETF, ah, <laughs> the, great. the latest innovation. And we also ask them to get into robo-advisor for mm. certain asset class. So being an independent advisor, we are uh, we need to be very open as yes. to what is the latest option available to help the client to grow the money yes. more effectively. Yes. You know, that's one. Uh, but say, uh, what do you say just now about Unitrust? No, it is true. Uh, uh, whatever we say about Uniswap here, uh, somehow it is the one one of the most common yeah, uh, yeah. liquid investment in Malaysia. Yes. So like it or not, when we see a client, the client will have 500,000, 1 million, 
of the unit was N. So we just have to figure out how do we, you know, how do yeah. we uh, improve it? Uh, how do we overhaul it to mm. better one? Uh, I totally agree with you, you know, that the traditional unit trust way of doing business is really unfair to an investor and is not doing good service to help the client to achieve financial freedom. Yeah. That's why Whitman, when we operate our unit trust advisory to the client, we are using an online unit trust, online unit trust platform which has access to uh, you can buy almost directly, all the company, mm. no, almost all the companies in Malaysia. And as an advisor, we also have a discretion not to charge the client 5%. So in investment, most of the time, the effective sales charge that we charge to the client is only 2%. So we are totally aware that if we charge the client 5%, yeah. then the client may not break even in one year. Chances are he may take two years to break even. And to me, <laughs> that is so unfair to the client. Absolutely. So, uh, so that's why uh, in Vigman, generally we are charging about 2% you know, for the client to enter in unit trust. But I, as I drill into this area also, I also find something pretty, uh, pretty sad in the sense that most unit trust agents in Malaysia do not get proper training mm. as, and support to really do a good job for their investor. What do I mean by that? Number one, when it comes to Unitrust fund, one fund, one Malaysia equity fund is different from another Malaysia equity fund. Okay, so, but traditionally, Unitrust agent, they are tied to one particular fund house. Okay, whether the Malaysia equity fund is good, bad, average, or lousy, they just got to take their Malaysia equity fund and sell it to their friends. Yeah. And their friend end up to be the victim of holding a lousy Malaysia equity fund. The fact that his friend came to that UTMC. Yeah. And that's it. So, but on the online Unitrust platform, advisor like us who have got the QTA license, corporate Unitrust advisor license, we get to choose the best Malaysia equity fund among the 30 old companies and come to the global equity fund, we get to choose the best global equity fund among the 32 companies. So that helps the client to increase the chances yes. to get a better return, you know, yeah. to avoid lousy funds. You know? That's one. But that, that requires extra skill. That requires extra work. You know? That requires a proper platform, which traditional interest agents do not have access to. Yeah. Oh, and investor or Unitrust agent just a lot of time still thinking that my job of selling Unitrust is to sell Unitrust. You see, company launch a Japan equity fund, I sell Japan equity fund. My job is to sell and my job ends after I sold and I earn the 5% commission. Yeah. That's it. But that is not really getting the client anywhere because the client who entrusts you to buy Unitrust from you expect you to advise him what to do next. When the fund make money, perform, what should I do? 
when the market go down like now, 30 over percent, the, the client also expect you to advise what to do. Unfortunately, traditional Unitrust agents are not trained at all yeah. what to do. So that's why in Vigman, being a financial planning company, that is not in our blood. Our, our blood is, over, is to figure out, okay, people complain about Unitrust. No, but the question is that we need to study to see what is lacking, yeah. what have not been done. And step by step, one piece by piece, we put in whatever necessary measures and the strategy to be in place to help the client and to hold the client hand when the market continues to go up, start taking some profit. Ah. So, so then you got some profit, pop, at the very safe investment like money market fund or oh. bond fund. Oh, okay. And whatever go up will certainly come down. And when market come down like this, no? What, 20% drop? 35% drop, take the money no? and invest it back right. and repeat the cycle. No? There's always a cycle. So, uh, so that's why, since you're asking me, I, I, I like to call what we actually do is what we call premium Unitrust service. Wow. Yeah, which means to say, you're not here to sell. No, you're here to service the client. Mm. And you're, you are here to service the client cow cow <laughs> to make sure the client can really get the best, the value of the fund mm. and get to make the right decision when market is up right. and down and five years, 10 years down the road, the client get enough fund, profit to support his financial goals. You know, I, I think this is a great segue into the discussion about the industry that you're in, uh, which is <laughs> yeah. the financial planning, insurance, unit trust agent kind of industry, right? Sure. And I just know a little bit because I have friends in the industry as well. Yeah. Uh, the difference between a fee-based and a commission-based agent mm. or advisor, whatever yes. word you want to use. And I suspect that the reason you are so passionate, right, about uh, this way, a, a more needs based is hand-holding the clients, things like that, premium service, is because you are by and large compensated through the fees that they pay you, right? Mm. It's a fee base. Sure. They are paying you. So they are your paymasters and so their interest is the most important. Sure. Whereas if it's a commission base, mm. yes, of course, you as the client that buys the unit trust, you don't pay any money uh, let's say monthly or uh, or every year. Yes. But you pay in two ways. One, of course, the fees, uh, the commission, mm. and also the, the potential fee. bad advice <laughs> they're going to get, right? Uh, yes, true. So, yes. but you see, that's, that's the, I, I'm talking about the industry dynamics now where sure. a bank, mm. we don't need to name names, but we know that the three big, banks that are in the unit trust that mm. dominate 60-70% of the, the assets under management. Sure. They will always want to stick to whatever it is now because A, is so profitable. It's money machine. It's so profitable, mm. right? Mm. And uh, for virtually very little work because the sales agent is the one that's doing all the hard work. Yes. They are just the ones with the license to distribute the funds mm. and all that. And so you've got that machinery. Then, 
when they come to someone like you and fees based, then they say, oh, I have to pay you every month or every year. Wow. Mm. Then they're expecting some mm. sort of return, especially immediately. Mm. And I do know definitely the traction for what you guys are doing is a lot lower than the commission guys, right? Because <laughs> there is, it's, they're using greed to drive <laughs> the industry. Yes. But for your specific part of the industry, it is driven by nobler intentions. Mm. How do you get people to trust you instead of mm. the agents and all these people who are pushing all these products? Products mm. versus service. Mm. Uh, maybe I should update you a little bit of background. Yes. Sure. Uh, when you talk about traction, I must agree with you. You know, uh, in Malaysia, uh, we are privileged you know, to have made, uh, enough clients to pay up for us for financial planning fee, get a full financial planning service from us. Uh, that's good enough to keep us to be a profitable company and to also make me financially free. Mm. Okay. But somehow I'm a funny guy, you know. I I I I I'm not fully satisfied by having money. Uh I, I just want to make a difference. Yes. Know, just like what when I was young. Yes, know, yes, exactly. I'm here to change things for better. Right. So so when I discover that, hey, how come, you no, know, that there's only that many people who's willing to pay fee for financial planning, then I know that is a bottleneck for my business. Mm -hmm. So I started a new division. Ah. And this new division, I will recruit you know, uh, a wiser who's willing to come to our apprenticeship program to learn how to deliver premium unit trust service without getting the client to pay financial planning fee. Mm. So this is a service whereby the client will pay a sale charge uh, uh, using a, a rep account, they call it for on the online Uniswap platform and uh, pay some form of advisory fee as far as the Unitrust management is concerned. Okay, so that service uh, has been something that we've been doing for the past two years. And I mean, to be fair, we have got advantage of doing advisory for clients for the past 20 years. So we think whatever that we have learned as to how to advise the client to make the right decision, how to coach them and incorporate into this premium unit trust service package. So, so that's where now we are having more and more advisor who, who, who want to upgrade themselves, you know, joining this apprenticeship program uh, to learn how to add the extra missing point, missing picture in the whole unit trust advisory to help the client to get the kind of high single digit return, you know, and help the client to be as peaceful with their investment, whether it's a bull market or whether it's a bear market. Right, makes sense, makes sense. So, but when you talk about this program, apprenticeship, all that, right? Mm. What are you looking for in young uh, wannabe advisors, right? Mm. Uh, what are some of the core things that they, they should have? Of course, everybody brings mm. something different to the table, mm. but what are like, if someone wants to be, an advisor for Whitman, what are the must-haves? You see, what I discovered when we started to uh, talk to this uh, assisting unit trust agent mm, mm. Uh, or assisting insurance agent uh, or CIP graduates who somehow uh, already in this industry. Uh, and, and then I started to understand the kind of challenges they, they face. You know? And I'm, I'm glad to find you know, that Malaysians are generally quite nice people. Oh, yeah, you know, that's true. With good intention. 
wanting to do something to add value to friends and clients. But how, however, they are limited by the knowledge they have got, by the support, you know, by the training given to them. So uh, what we intend to do under this apprenticeship program, you ask me what kind of quality they mm, have got. Yeah. Uh, I must say that then there are easily about 100,000 Unitrust agents out there. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I would say not every one of them is suitable to come to this program. Worse. Because like you say, uh, some people will just want to find to make money faster. And some people find that doing the Unitrust sales currently is more profitable than being professional. Yes. You know? So that's why I believe, uh, and- In fact, if I'm not saying it's even more profitable than, no, sorry, sorry, insurance is more profitable than unit trust right now. I believe selling insurance. Uh, I mean, if you look at a single yeah. case- Yeah, yeah, sure. Basis, okay, right, uh, okay. Sorry for interrupting, sure, continue. Yeah, so for that matter, uh, what we hope to attract, you know, is those unit trust agents or insurance agents who want to upgrade themselves, okay? Uh, who, who are not happy with whatever they can offer to the clients. Yeah. Because, I, I, because I know quite a number of them are very frustrated as well. Mm. No, mm. They, they mean well, they want to add value to the client, but this, they just don't know how. No, At the end, they go into a vicious cycle whereby the client continues to lose money, the client is unhappy, okay, but they also are going through tremendous stress. So it becomes no, something that they don't really like. So that's why I believe that those who want to take care of the client, uh, take care of their friends, okay, who want to upgrade themselves professionally, uh, who want to get satisfaction from doing this, this business, you know, and not like what you say just now, uh, you need trust. That doesn't seem to be the sexiest <laughs> financial product to offer and change that impression. Welcome to the apprenticeship program. Awesome, awesome. Um, okay. So we talked a little bit about industry. I think this is the last part. We're gonna talk a bit about your book. And I wanna get people uh give people a teaser of what they can expect in the book. Okay, sure. So may I, I listed down a few things mm. um here that I found that you know was very interesting to me. Sure. So the first one is actually uh you have a segment called taking blame for investments. Who should be blamed whenever an investment goes bad? Mm. And my view has always been the investor <laughs> because you are the one that put in the money. And even you can say X so-and-so misled you, uh, you were misled, mm. right? Um, and it's the same with, I will always remember, I'm not sure if you are familiar with the high flux situation in Singapore, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Um, a lot of people bought the bonds because it's guaranteed. But then uh, after 10 years of right, uh, mismanagement, the company went down. And so they started blaming the Singaporean government. Mm. Why you never catch high flux? And then they blame high flux saying, why you never release information that was uh, that is relevant for us to know that you have all these risks. And to be fair, a lot of them were retirees and there was a whole uh, dem uh, demonstration. Protest. Yes, a protest. Mm. When I look at that, uh, yes, I pity the old man who was up there complaining uh, mm. because of course, uh, you know, mm. it's, uh, it's always difficult. But um, who do you think should take the blame when mm. an investment goes bad? Uh, if, if we were to look at the, the incident mm. in a very objective manner, of course, investor 
who have got the decision to make, you know, uh, whether to invest or not to invest. Mm. You know, they they got to shoulder the responsibility. Yes, yes. Uh, but I mean, maybe that's my answer when I was much younger. Mm, no? I see. But having gone through this industry for the past twenty over years, I, mean, I see life sure not so simple as that. Sure. And with the ever changing landscape of more products, you no. Know? Uh, nowadays, more and more banking product that used to very be very confusing, you know, yeah. available to only high net worth clients, now become retail. You no, know, and getting into like mini size and go to average investors. No, this is all what you call derivative it. products, all that. Yes, no. Uh, this is what you so call democratization. Democratization yep. of yep. the financial products. But then imagine that an average investor, whether it's retiree or working person, on one end, this particular person do not have much knowledge. Yeah. You know, to update all these latest product, and number two, the person also got very limited time. So that's why maybe. I'm quite known that you you say in the beginning that I'm one of the maybe a figure person who have spent a lot of time uh, writing articles, writing books, going to radios and TV, try to do education. Uh, in fact, I never intend. I, in fact, I never in really believe that the kind of education can really effectively help an investor. Mm. No. Simply, maybe from the fact that I just know how vulnerable an yeah. investor can yeah. be under the influence of financial institutions, agents, friends, neighbors, advertisement, and things like that. So, if you ask me, what is the most effective way to really protect an investor so that they don't have to be so guilty? You know. Uh, for making one the decision is to find a trusted advisor who is competent, knowledgeable, and selfless and professional to be able to sit by this person to go through every stage of his life, to look through every proposal come his way, analyze it for him, what risk this proposal may bring him to, and then reflect. And go back to review the financial plan that he's got, and make every decision. And when come there is a bear market right now, yes, you no, know, ask him to do the right thing, and not to, not to do yeah. the stupid things, you no, know, no, by you know some uh, somehow like chasing return and whatever things like that. Exactly. So if you ask me, I believe that having a trusted advisor who's professional, you no, know, is the effect, most effective way. So that's why you see now, uh, I'm not happy with just running a profitable, respectable boutique advisory firm of 20 yes. old advisor. I started two years ago, the apprenticeship program, intending to reach out to more advisor. Mm. Because I believe that there are many Malaysians that I will not be able to get to know yeah. for the rest of my life. Yeah. But by having access to this advisor, who have their own network of friends and clientele, we will be able to pass this positive system to more Malaysian. Yeah. So that is True. maybe my newly discovered Great. way to change yeah. the and, industry. And you know, to your point about all these options on democratization, right? I think two things in your book 
I'll join them into one is sure. one is that actually that if someone has more choice, there's more risk. That's very interesting <laughs> because there's a bit of a choice worship, right? Uh, people want more choices, right? Yes. And will you agree with me that really it's actually like more choices actually paralyze you? Yeah, true. Right? True. And you actually cannot decide. Mm. But then people are telling you, yo, you got to decide. You no, know, inflation is taking up your money or mm. you don't invest, you know, and things mm. like that. Yes. And and that also links into my next point, which is like uncertainty. Because mm. imagine we know the world is really uncertain and then now we've sure. got so many choices to try and manage that uncertainty. Mm. So usually when people are afraid, let's say, let, let's use the other spectrum, right? Um, just now we talked about the dangers of high return and all that. How about the dangers of uh, taking, how do I say, being so paralyzed by uncertainty? How do you help people through like oh, market very bad, very scared, mm. volatile, right? Equity markets are always volatile, very scared, mm. Mm. right? Mm. Property, oh God, this problem, that problem with uh, managing tenants or that very, very difficult. You mm. always get clients like that, right? Mm. And yeah. don't want to do anything. Yes. How do you get clients like that to... Mm take a bit more risk in that mm. sense. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess number one, okay, we, we must start with holistic financial way to motivate them. Yes, yeah, of course. To, to their, their goals, uh, objectives. Okay, right? that's one. Uh, next, we, we got to be experienced enough to understand what fear do they have? Mm. They're stopping them from taking action. Mm. No? Uh, is it because they are afraid that they'll lose money? Okay? Or is it they're, they're worried that whatever they buy will go down further. They'll lose even more money. Okay? Or what? Oh? So somehow, this is the part where you need to play the role of you know, psychologists. Yeah. You know, to really ask questions, uh, try to identify what is the real fear. Okay? And once we identify the fear, okay, we, then we, must, then we, sh we can use whatever information, whatever knowledge and experience that we have got to share with them. To share with them to say that if you, if you think that uh, putting money is safe, okay, investing in the market right now is uh, not safe. Let me share with you more to show you what you know is wrong. Mm. Uh, because I can show you that putting money in the bank is not safe and investing money in equity market with the right way yeah. with my support is safer. So yeah. the client inevitably will get the kind of aha moment and say, how come I never thought about my finance like that? No. And I think what you say makes sense. Mm. And let's start doing something. Okay. So it requires a lot of uh, a human skill. Mm, that's understanding true. That's true. No, what is like, you say just now the word, Paralyze them, no, and start moving them. Yeah. And, and one thing about this part about robot advisor and human advisor, I always feel uh, very proud, always feel very privileged, uh, and feel very advantage being a human. Yeah. No, because when two humans sitting next to each other, uh, talking about dreams, talking about fear, talking about what decision to make, the, the client can always feel the warm. Yeah, you know, yeah, can always feel the kind of uh, uh, the 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 sincerity, you no, know? and they 
the integrity of the another person yeah yeah uh to really want to hold a him to get out of whatever situation that he have and become to go to a better place but by imagine if i'm a robo how is it possible yeah so this i come to the stage of my life into this practicing i think i also can't really describe what uh all the factors need to be needed to be in place that really help to help the client to eventually yeah. make a better decision you know it, it becomes something like gut feeling it become like instinct already mm, you know mm. no, but oh, all just, your years uh, of practice right that yes it's an instinct it, it it's so ironic because the whole objective of robots advisors forming is so that they can take out the human element <laughs> yes but what you're saying is your experience is that if there is no human element mm. that might actually be even worse even worse yes but of course you need the right human of course <laughs> yes right right, right. that's that's the challenge mm. okay we are coming towards the end i only have two more things that i really want to talk about and this next part is probably the i think when i read through a book probably the one that caught my eye the most <laughs> and that um i want to know that <laughs> yes and that is uh mr robert kiyosaki okay and you mentioned that the, you had a snippet i remember reading a book saying that uh his advice can be dangerous mm. now of course the context is that robert, robert kiyosaki is everyone's uh in a I way first love their first, oh, first love, love. Oh, first, uh, love. Okay. first love okay right? i like that uh, yeah. their book is their first love right uh, maybe your book will be their second love huh? hopefully uh and 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 people worship him right there's always that famous investor quadrant right uh, mm. employee business owner self-employed investor be an investor or be a business owner something mm. like that right yes but you seem to think that part of some of his advice uh can be quite dangerous yes and that you i mentioned you men mentioned the i remember you mentioned the book that people go through the robert kiyosaki course and then straight away they leverage their properties, properties. to the hilt mm. and and and, and then know, start a business start a business left the job yes yeah, mm. the job so maybe explain in a more detail why you think that robert kiyosaki can be dangerous mm. the advice I, I i believe that of course when we when we read robert kiyosaki book yeah uh we, we feel very excited no there's a lot of adrenaline okay uh, but if you were to think deeper maybe my job give me a lot of opportunity to think deeper about the advice and compare to what what i read uh, from him he's advocating that everybody can be super rich uh as long as you got to be you can be aggressive and you can take risks no uh if you can take away the kind of like employee mentality yes. and then no take in the business owner mentality but, but somehow i believe that uh this approach uh the direction i the angle i agree we we want to be richer no we want to be more financially comfortable i totally agree yeah but what i do not agree is the approach i i would think that his approach is too aggressive yeah no uh to me if we do uh take a two-step approach okay that will be something more pragmatic uh, what do I mean by two-step approach? First step is to make sure that you have a financial plan, build your wealth, grow your saving, you know, uh, in, a, in a way that you can achieve financial freedom. Mm. You know, maybe not the kind of very fancy kind of financial freedom, but 
a basic way of financial freedom, mm. then you, you know that you have got the capability to come to this stage already. So you have achieved financial freedom. Then next, only you, since they're well-trained right, in a way, you, know, you, you become more financial savvy already. You know risk better already because you have come this stage already. Okay? Then only you take the next jump to say, I want to become rich. I want to actually go into yeah. properties. I want to go in the big way. You know, I want to do the share market and things like big way. But at least you have prepared yourself you know, yeah. uh, better already. Or you may discover that once you reach the financial freedom, suddenly you find, hey, I'm quite happy being where I am now. No, why, why should I take so much risk? No, uh, or such why more spend more energy? Why? Yes. Yeah, I, mean, I want to do other things. Yeah, know. because life you know, has got other things. So many money. other things to do, yeah. Yeah, no? and I find that being financially free is good enough. So that that is, I think, what I advocated in, in the article. Yes. And I believe that it is more practical <laughs> for mm. most Malaysians. Mm. You know, what? one thing, I'm not sure if you're aware that people, most people are not aware with Robert Kiyosaki is that uh, he, he got bankrupted two times before. Mm. And what got him out essentially was actually selling all his books. <laughs> so his wealth was not generated by the risk-taking behavior that he describes. Mm. It was like the foundation was all his books and his talks and all that, mm. which if you think about it, it's pretty low risk, mm. right? You, yes. You're just talking <laughs> and writing, mm. right? And another thing is with the property one, uh, this is something he also, I think, uh, I don't say irresponsible, uh, certainly could be emphasized more. Mm. When he talked about the leveraging of the properties, right? Yeah. He tend to not tell people that he actually parked these uh, properties, right, in a LLC, mm. which then shields the liability mm. from his personal assets. Okay. So anything bad happens to the prop, the venture, right? The, the LLC. The LLC. Mm. Only the LLC dies. He's mm. safe. But yes. people don't know this difference. Yes. So they go out mm. and then they put it in their name. Yes. So bankruptcy risk happens yes. to them. Yes. So that's why I put the analogy uh, at the end of my article is that what Robert Kiyosaki asking you to do is like, Asking you F1. to drive F1 car. Yes, I remember. It's not easy to drive an F1 car, you know? At least you have to go through a lot of training, you know, first. Then only you feel more confident and you can control the F1 car. Yeah. You know? Otherwise, I think, unfortunately, I see some friends, some people that I know, uh, blindly follow Robert Kiyosaki advice. At the end, more I ruined. don't know whether they become bankrupt, but definitely they face a lot of financial challenges. Absolutely. Yeah. Very, very true. Mm. Okay, just the last bit. Let's circle back all the way into the beginning, right? Which is the story about your dad mm. and uh how business uh a businessman can mismanage finances. It's not easy. Um and also in your book you mentioned that it came as a surprise to you how a lot of people who are very good at who are F1 drivers who can drive the <laughs> F1 car, right? who built successful businesses are actually really, really poor at managing their finances. Mm. A, why is that the case? Mm. And B, what advice do you have out there for business pe people specifically now mm. that have that kind of mm. liquidity mm. to manage their money? Mm. Uh, let's put it this way. 
businessman oh, and successful businessman require a lot of gut, yep. you know, uh, a lot of foresight, uh, and also uh, willing to take a lot of risk in order, in order to be successful in the business they have got. Okay? And that's not only that. When you want to succeed in the industry, you need to go for a niche market. And you, can con- you, you must concentrate all your resources, money, attention, and effort into that niche industry. Just like, for example, Microsoft, they focus on the software only. They do not do the SIM card. No, they do not do the they memory the card. Computers. They do not know, They do not do the hardware. They do not do phone in the beginning. So they just need to be very focused in writing the software no, to be very successful. So this is how businessmen succeed in their business. Yes. But then what you're saying just now is that then what happened to the money they make? Okay. Now, if they carry the same attitude, mm. uh, same character to manage their hard-earned money, okay, then the risk is super high. Okay? Because to manage his money, to preserve the money that he makes, it requires a totally different cycle. No? Uh, psychology or mental set. Uh, what do I mean by that? Say, for example, uh, when you want to manage and preserve money, you got to be very risk conscious. Huh? You must figure out how to avoid the risk and not taking risk. Okay? So, and at the same time also, when you want to avoid risk and minimize risk, you need to diversify your investment. You, you are not supposed to concentrate your investment yes. into one stock or maybe- Like how a Microsoft would. Uh, yeah. Yes. No? So you need to diversify. So, as you can see now, uh, creating money requires one set of personality. To preserve the money and to grow money steadily requires another kind of personality. So in that case, unless the businessman can be so versatile yes. <laughs> to switch his mind, uh, you know, neutralize his strength to become another strength, to develop another strength, then the chances of him managing his money well is a big question mark. Yeah. So that's why, again, the most effective way is not to neutralize his strength, not to change his personality, but for him to continue to do what he can do best. But to appoint mm. a financial advisor who's professionally trained to be risk averse, to be good in managing risk, and to be very good at diversifying the wealth mm. into different parts of the world and different kind of asset class. And for that matter, with a small fee compared to whatever wealth that he has got, this business owner can get to continue to do what he's doing best. And he can also get to have the peace of mind yeah. that well, his wealth is well protected, well preserved, and continue to grow. So somehow, I like to think that that is an yeah. ideal solution for a business owner. That that makes a lot of sense, right? Because getting people to change is always very, very difficult. difficult. Right? I, I also doubt whether I can change myself now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, just to sign off, right? Um, so I have, the, I have the book here. And um, how can people get this book? This book is now available at all the uh, major bookstores. MBH, mm-hmm. uh, Borders, right. Populous. No, I believe it's all available. No, you can go to the bookstore and get the copies. 
And and what I like about the book is that it's actually a collection of your articles. Yeah. So it's very topical based, right? It looks, mm. uh, the book is very thick. You might be intimidated, but uh, it's actually all like very bite-sized information, right? Mm. Three, four pages of a specific topic and then done, and then done. That's what I liked about the book. So yeah, uh, Mr. Yap, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I hope uh, you enjoyed your first experience <laughs> in this sort of setting. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah, this is the first time also I get to share yes. uh, my experience, yes. you know, some of my life <laughs> in this format, yeah. which I find it very interesting. Yeah. Maybe we can do more in the 100%. future. 100%. And mm. uh, finally, you you know, it's not just about the, on your videos, sometimes I see like spreadsheets and data mm. and slides. Now at least I get to know you, you know, as a, as a person as well. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed the video or the podcast. So as usual, we are, if you are on YouTube, you should know we are on Spotify. If you're on Spotify, you should know we are on YouTube as well. Go follow both these channels uh, so that you can listen to some of our other podcasts. And I hope you enjoyed this session and uh, we'll see you in the next one.